Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show, thoughtful conversation about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. And I want to use that, um, expand on that phrase, that term, existential threats, in okay. a minute. There's a new development politically, but uh, not an existential threat is uh, I have a new daughter-in-law. Right, because Your, the wedding was this weekend. Younger son got mm-hmm. married this weekend, Joseph. Yeah. And it was a great weekend and had a nice rehearsal dinner. Sure. Wonderful celebration. And mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Bennett put on a, a, a rehearsal dinner that was really nice. Of course. And her son, Joe, said, please don't, you know, tell stories about when I was a baby. Right. Yeah. He doesn't want to. I mean, it can be embarrassing. I understand. So Mrs. Bennett got up and said, now, I was told not to tell the story of, <laughs> she, you know, and she's Launched into one or two, but anyway, it right. was very tasteful, very mm-hmm. funny, and he enjoyed it. I gave him a toast, and um, uh, it was uh, it was good. I mean, we had, went to Catholic church, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did, did the sacrament of matrimony. Nice church here in D.C., and then a uh, very nice uh, reception that her parents put on. Sure. So, mm-hmm. It was good. Uh, joining me today is uh, Chester Finn, Distinguished Senior Fellow and President Emeritus, Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Senior fellow of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University. We're going to talk about something you might think is narrow, but it's really very important. It's called Assessing the Nation's Report Card, Challenges and Choices for NAEP. It's a new book uh, that he's put out. Right. Now, why would we want to do that nation's report? This is the single best test in the country. But uh, this is about the single best test there is in the country mm-hmm. of our students, NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Mm-hmm. It tells us how we're doing as a country. And... Um, that has implications for all sorts of things. Dr. Finn was my assistant secretary when I was secretary of ed and knows, I think, more about education trends in America than anybody in the world. Anybody in America. Sure. Which is like anybody in the world. Like they used to say in Texas, <laughs> this is the largest Texas flag in the world. So there's not a larger one in Botswana. I right. Mean, maybe no. not. Maybe not. So I figured if it's largest in Texas, it's probably. Largest in the world, yeah. Probably. Mm-hmm. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. Existential threats Yeah, talk about. Did you see the latest from Joe Biden? Uh, meaning the trip to Buffalo or? Related to the trip to Buffalo, they have now decided their strategy, Democrat strategy, is to call, get this, the Republican Party an existential threat to America. Really? Uh, the, the, a guy in the Rolling Stone, apparently, I couldn't find it, had a quote that said, the killer in Buffalo is right out of the mainstream Republican playbook. I mean, what the hell is that? What kind of thing is that to say? Mainstream Republican playbooks to kill people, kill black people? What are we talking about? These people gone insane? Biden is, you know, he's doing this MAGA thing, and MAGA king is Donald Trump, and, but now the GOP is an existential threat to America. So we're going to see a really bloody political oh, goodness. season. Yeah. Obviously, we have the November elections, um, and Biden wants to heat things up. I think, you know, abortion issue, guns, white supremacy, Republicans. I think we're going to have a hot summer. Absolutely. Uh, contentious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we will. Yeah. yeah. Just a few other things uh, I wanted to mention, but I, I, I agree with you. Get ready for a hot summer, not just in terms of... Global warming, if that's happening, but uh, politically. (laughs) Very interesting to me that uh, Elon Musk uh, is now criticizing Biden, but maybe more interesting, Jeff Bezos, or Bezos, Mm -hmm. who owns the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. is criticizing Biden. I mean, the whole inflation thing. Right. They just think he's dead wrong. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't know where this party's going, but as we are talking, they're still trying to figure out Pennsylvania, Republican primary. Mm Mm-hmm. Dr. Oz and then um, McCormick, Dave McCormick. And uh, we'll see how that turns out. But it, it looks like a much bigger Republican registration squad in um, Pennsylvania. Bigger turnout for Republicans. Um, that's such a big state. Sure. Because um, that was the state where the whole election, 2020 election, was you know, in contention. Mm-hmm. And there was accusations of you know, inappropriate stuff and the election being stolen and so on. And it was centered at, in Pennsylvania. So uh, if you get a Republican governor coming in uh, for 2024, uh, could be very interesting sure. what happens in, uh, in Pennsylvania. I found this interesting. Uh, somebody did a review of commencement addresses this year. Okay. 
of a hundred, the hundred top colleges, according to U.S. News, three of them had conservative speakers. <laughs> Ninety-seven to three. At least they were three. Yeah, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's really quite quite amazing. Uh quite amazing. I want to say this. Um, I'm all for Zelensky and really admire the heck out of them beating the Russians. I, I don't know if this is the Ukrainian bravery and courage and skill and our equipment or Russian incompetence right. or both. Mm-hmm. But my gosh, these guys may win. Sure. Absolutely. They may just beat back the Russians, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for the aid. But I do think I do think you have to you have to take Rand Paul's argument seriously. You know, we're very concerned about the borders of Ukraine. What about our borders? Mm-hmm. And by the time folks are listening to this, they'll be, you know, this Title 42 may have lapsed. And you could see these floods of people at the border. I, I don't know what to call it now because it's a flood now. You could see a tsunami sure. at the border. They're talking 18,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. A day? Right. Uh, I mean, that's a loss of sovereignty. That means you've lost your country. That's that's, that's an invasion. One other thing related to that, I got to say, I, I didn't know. I was reading about this cat, Kamak, Republican woman from Florida. The media was saying was a nut and so on. I, I didn't know who she was, reserve judgment. But she said, you know, we got this baby formula problem. Right. And she said, but there's a ton of baby formula at the border. Huh. There are pallets and pallets. And then she said, not just pallets and pallets, there are several warehouses Mm-hmm. Each with pallets and pallets of infant formula, and uh, Washington Post gave her four Pinocchios, which means she's you know it's mm-hmm. all face lie. Others said it was a lie. She went down there with a video camera. She's right. She's absolutely right. Wow! And videoed these mm-hmm. uh, these warehouses with all this baby formula. Now you know babies coming across and all that, and you want to help them. You don't want them to starve and die. And, of course not. Mm-hmm. But American babies, striking. Really, really striking. The Internet is an amazing resource to be able to search for just about anything you need information about, right? We now use the term Google it as if Google was a verb or as if Google it was something that we used to always do. You want to know something about anything? Google it and see what comes up on the Internet. But there are times where you're searching the Internet and you don't want other people to know what you're searching. I remember my wife and I getting some stuff done um, for taxes uh, last year, and we just had a couple, some questions and some things we had to figure out. I don't know if I wanted everybody to kind of know what I was looking up on the Internet then. And some of you may be thinking, well, just use incognito mode. There are ways around that. Well, let me tell you something. Incognito mode does not hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browser history. Your Internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. That's why even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter who your Internet service provider is. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your Internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I didn't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background, and it's so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even for your smart TV, so there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by Business Insider. Visit Bill's exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash Bennett, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Bennett, expressvpn.com dot com slash Bennett to learn more. Claude, let's welcome Chester E. Finn to the show, distinguished senior fellow, president emeritus, Thomas B. Fordham Institute, and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution of Stanford University. And folks, I call Dr. Finn Checker because he is a dear friend, 
colleague. So much to talk about. We want to focus uh, this interview on your new book, Assessing the Nation's Report Card Challenges and Choices for NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. But uh, let's step back and look at the, the whole larger world of education for a minute on a couple things. First of all, I was just coming across this. I guess I didn't give you fair warning on it, but higher ed, uh, two things. Uh, the feminization of higher education in America continues, doesn't it? The disparity in degrees, many more women. It's like 57%. Yes. There, that's because women are better prepared for college and more likely to stick it out and graduate because they start reading better in the earliest grades of school and the guys are just not as prepared to succeed in college. At least that's my theory. Yeah. Yeah. And they do do the reading, don't they? They do it and their scores are higher all the way along in the girls versus boys in reading. That's one of the things we know from NAEP, by the way. Okay. We'll get um, that. Yeah. Good. And they apply to everybody applies to college, which is to say, even though those numbers are down some, uh, the application to college isn't that different between uh, women and men. Uh, but sticking it out is different. But I just saw a, a report that college enrollment is down. Yes, correct. Three, it is three percent or something. You know, in, in it's 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 going in two directions. Of course, the clamor to get into the selective places is worse than ever uh, for a bunch of reasons, including their abolition of, of of SATs and ACTs. At the same time, a lot of what I'm going to call lower end institutions, uh, community colleges and state colleges, and and uh, lesser private colleges are are hungry for students. They are they are they're half empty. They are way down. Is word getting out that? Um and you'll, you'll see the bias in my question. So we're getting out that college may not be worth it. Yes. Word is getting out that um, college is is not for everyone and that other ways of making a living and living a good life might be both easier to get to and cheaper and just as rewarding. College has gotten to be a complicated, expensive, and sometimes off-putting place for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I co-authored a book called College Worth It? And, you know, it said flat out, if you get into Harvard or Stanford, go because, you know, minimally yes. return on investment. Investment is very good, you know, financially. Yes, but also, and that's why, and that's why admissions was this year was down to three percent of applicants at those places. And did, mean, this create, did this create chaos when they dropped the SAT and ACT? It I'm sure it made it harder to be an admissions director because the number of applicants went way up and the metrics for judging them went way down. Which is to say, it's if you you got suddenly thirty thousand applicants for a selective college, and if you're not using test scores for an initial screening. So what are you using? It's really hard. And that makes it harder for the admissions officer at your alma mater, Harvard, to explain sure to the disgruntled parent, well, well, you know, how, well, why didn't my kid get in? You know, right? You know, every time you move away from objective tests into something subjective, so-called holistic admissions, you make it harder to explain, and you also open the door even wider to gaming and corruption and influence peddling. So it's a very tricky business. We see the same thing in the selective high schools, the um, you know the Bronx High School of Science kinds of things. If they stop admitting by numbers, by, by scores, then it's vulnerable to the governor's cousin's daughter's nephew calling. Yeah. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. But I want to come back because I back to what I asked earlier is we're getting around. I mean, if you if you go to a second or third rate college uh, and you're still paying thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, and you major in you know graphic arts, communications, you get out, you owe money, and you can't get a job. You, word begins to get out. What the heck was this all about? What did I do this for? Or, or worse, you've majored in gender studies or something that has absolutely no 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 jobs ahead. Uh, and um, because you've you've take, gone with the trends um, in in college, yeah, it's 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 exactly right. You end up with a debt and 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 no decent job, and a uh, saying why am I why am I doing this? Maybe my maybe my little brother should not do this. Yeah. Well, one trend has remained stable. I saw. Uh Somebody said the top 100 colleges, I don't know how they picked it, but of the commencement addresses of the top 100, three of them were given by conservatives. Uh, <laughs> and last year it was two, so this is a dangerous trend. That's a huge increase. That's, That's like a 50%, 50%, 50 increase. Yeah, it could be four or five in the next years. <laughs> God knows. 
But I mean, that, that, that is an issue, isn't it? The bias in higher ed. I mean, isn't that the politicization? It is. It's it's a huge issue for those of us that care about things like the search for truth and and hearing two sides of an argument. Uh, it doesn't seem to even be much of an issue on campus anymore because they've completely drunk the Kool Aid in most places, and they don't even they don't even know they have a problem anymore. I'm afraid. Okay, uh, all right. Let's turn to uh, to NAEP, the, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, uh, Dr. Finn's new book, Assessing the Nation's Report. Card. Very difficult book to get, Claude. Did you notice? Absolutely difficult. I mean, we tried our best online to get it, Amazon, all kind of places. And uh, yeah, very difficult to get. People are getting it. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. sell- it's selling out, Checker. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the publisher might have sent you a courtesy copy if you had phoned and asked nicely. All right. Well, we but got anyway. I, I got it even better. I got special delivery by the author. You did. You're a very special guy. Well, that's I felt special in getting it. What is the National Assessment of Educational Progress for somebody who's never heard of it before? Yeah, a lot of people have never heard of it. I, I frequently refer to it as the most important test that you've probably never heard of. Uh, this is a, a, a 50-year-old federally financed test of whether kids know anything in grades 4, 8, and 12 in America's schools. And uh, it is our best barometer of uh, student achievement and of gaps in student achievement and of trends up, down, or sideways in student achievement. Uh, and it has been going in, in somewhat modified form since Lyndon Johnson was in the Oval Office. So this is a, 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 a big deal for policymakers and researchers. The reason most people have never heard of it is that it does not provide information about your kid or your school. Uh, it only provides information really about your country and your state and, and a couple dozen districts that have gotten, that have sort of worked their way into it, big cities really. Uh, and because it doesn't yield any, any information about how your school is doing or how your child is doing, it's kind of irrelevant to most parents, all parents really, and, and, and most educators, uh, most on the ground educators. And yes, at a high level, um, if you're a governor, uh, or a state superintendent, um, a member of a state board of education, state legislature, it's very important. It tells you whether uh, how Missouri's doing compared to Maine, how, how how girls are doing compared to boys, how blacks are doing compared to whites and Asians and Hispanics, and and whether it's getting better or worse over time. So it's a very big deal at, at a high level, and and no deal at all on the ground. Uh, how does it work? It's a sample. It is a statistically valid random sample of kids in grades four, eight, and twelve, um, and be, and therefore uh, only a relative handful of schools participate. Relative handful of kids participate. I mean, we're talking maybe a, a hundred thousand kids at a at a go round. Okay. Uh, but and it, therefore, it's enough of a sample that it does give you valid data at the at the levels I was talking about of the state and of and the country. Um, and it's been, it's given in 10 different subjects on various cycles. The fastest cycle is reading and math, which Congress has mandated be given every two years, at least in fourth and eighth grade. And so the reading and math results come around um, frequently. We're going to soon get some on on the effects of COVID, by the way, Uh, the sort of almost a before and after uh, picture um, from NAEP on COVID. Uh, And that's going to be important to have. But uh, the other subjects, uh, science, history, geography, and so forth, are, are, are tested less often. But they do produce results, uh, not in every one of those three grades and not, sadly, at the state level, only at the national level. But uh, that's how it works. Tell us about reading and math, since that's the one given most often. Um, What are the trends of 10 years, 30 years, 50 years, whatever? Well, the last few years, well, before COVID, let's let's go there. Uh, Things had been basically flat in math and down a bit in reading in the recent years, let's say from uh, uh, 2015 to 2019. Um, Before 2015, we were seeing some gains in math, especially um, in the younger grades, uh, four and eight. Um, 12th grade, sadly, has been flat for as long as anybody can remember. And that's a hugely important thing to know, particularly as high school graduation rates go up. 
because we're seeing more kids graduating, but we're not seeing any gains in average scores, which are distressingly low. Pause on uh, that. I think, I think, 12th grade math has been distressingly low for as long as anybody can remember. Is that 50 years? It's uh, 40 plus years, yes. Okay. It's almost 50 now. Uh, and uh, yeah, distressingly low. And when we look at, at essentially who's, let's say, prepared for college at the end of 12th grade, using NAEP data, uh, sadly, again, we're looking at, at, let's say, 35% of 12th graders are prepared academically to succeed in college, and yet 65% of them are applying to college and going to college. So it's pretty pretty worrying proof, evidence, that we've got an awful lot of people heading out of high school into college who are academically just just not ready to succeed there. All right, let's disaggregate. Fourth grade, let's do both. Fourth grade reading, fourth grade math. Trends. Well, again, before COVID, we were seeing some gains in math and some slight declines in reading. Uh, the gains were were not real recent. The, the After No Child Left Behind um, in 2002, we saw upward ticks in math in fourth grade for about a decade, and then things began to, to level off. Um, and in reading, there were very modest gains, and then they leveled off and began to go down a little. What we're going to see with COVID, I'm sure, is a disaster, is a real plunge in scores uh, when we when we get those data, because that's what we're seeing. We've got clues from other sources like state assessments, uh, but that's... Um, that's been the pattern. It's very similar in, in eighth grade, except that the gains were, were, were not as great. And most of the gains um, were concentrated during the No Child Left Behind era in poor and minority kids and low achievers, which is a good thing. But at the high end, high achievers had flat scores. They weren't getting better. They, were, they, had, they, they had high, high scores, but, but flat at a high level. Uh, also worrying if you think the nation is at risk, and I do. Um, difference, I just said, just to get some, some, uh, disaggregating quite a difference between, uh, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians. Well, again, NAEP is, is our best barometer, best gauge, uh, measure, best measuring stick of those, of those differences. And, and they've, that's been really important since, again, the federal law said we really care about learning, learning gaps and closing them. And we're not closing them is this is, is the sad news. Uh, in math, we've got Asians way ahead, whites next, uh, Hispanics after that, and blacks lagging further behind. Um, actually, that's true in both subjects, uh, just that Asians aren't so so great at English, at reading, as they are at math. Uh, but that's been the pattern. The gaps are wide. And they there was some narrowing going on in the early 2000s, and that's pretty well stopped, as best we can tell. And that's a problem. Boys, girls? Well, the short answer, kind of like we were discussing earlier with college, is girls do better in reading and boys do better in math. Okay. Uh, that's an sort of an ancient pattern in American education. Oh, my gosh. You're not saying it's by gender, are you? Or by <laughs> God forbid. I don't know what transgender people are doing because that's not a subgroup you that know. we track. All right. Okay. Anyway. All right. So the girls are doing better. I- I'm curious about um, what you were saying earlier, 12th grade flat, right? Uh, yes. In math. Do we have any and- idea how math knowledge for our 12th graders compares to math knowledge for 12th graders in Europe or more, maybe more importantly, China? Yeah, we got to turn to a different measure called PISA, which is the international test that's administered by the OECD to 15-year-olds, not, not, not end of high school, but, uh, uh, but, but 15-year-olds. And uh, the U.S. is basically in the middle of the pack, in, well, in, really in every subject, uh, but uh, it's lower middle in math. Uh, it's better. In, all in, countries, in, all countries testing. Well, awful lot of them are. I mean, I think they're up to sixty, seventy countries. I mean, are, are, of all of all countries testing, we're in the middle. Oh, yeah, of the of the industrial countries, the wealthy countries, okay. we are in the middle. If you if you throw in a lot of third world countries, we're we're not all the way in the middle. We're higher than that. Yeah. But among the competitors and allies and enemies, uh, we are in the middle. Um, 
China is kind of a weird special case on that test because China doesn't do a random sample of the whole country. Frankly, they really just test kids in their few big cities where they have special schools. So we don't really know how China is doing as a whole country. Uh, but uh, uh, the spurs in those few cities are very strong. Do we have a sense that just, you know, I think people are realizing the emerging, you know, the threat that China is. Do we have a sense that those 15-year-old or or 12th grade or whatever mm-hmm. comparison of our kids with Chinese kids would show Chinese kids way ahead in math of our kids? Um, I don't want to speculate there because we really don't know anything about the okay. whole country of China. We okay. know about the big cities and the special schools, and they're way ahead, um, much as we see in, in Singapore, to pick a friendlier okay. place. Okay, or South Korea, same? Yeah, South Korea is strong, too. Again, especially in in math, but also in in literacy. It's not called English. It's the because they're tested in their language, basically. Taiwan. Yep. Okay. They do the Asian tigers. They do fine on the uh, PISA test, which is the one we're talking about right now. All right. So, what about NAEP? Um, what what should we think of it? And uh, I guess I guess my first question is: Does NAEP have integrity? It has had. And it is respected and it is um, trusted and the trend data is reliable. And um, I have nothing but good things to say about how it has been handled. I'm a little worried going forward because even NAEP, which has a, um, an independent governing body that you initially appointed in uh, uh, 1988 and that I initially chaired for two years, um, one of the better things I ever did, I might add. Yeah. Um, the independent governing body, which is 20, 20, Noah's Ark of 26 people, you know, two governors of different parties, two legislators, two school, school superintendents, teachers, principals, business leaders, et cetera. It's, they've done a very good job of both keeping NAEP independent of, 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 the, of the government itself and out of politics and reaching consensus on what should be on the tests. And that's been an extremely important element of the credibility of these tests. And that's beginning to be vulnerable to culture wars and, and, and political differences. We saw a bit of it in their recent effort to update the reading assessment, and they're just now heading into the science assessment, where there's all sorts of opportunity for schisms to occur, both in their those who advise them and in the governing board itself. And then after that comes history and civics, where there's even more opportunity. So I'm a little worried about the long-term Uh, credibility of NAEP because it rests on the belief that it's a reasonable consensus that um, the country can, everybody around the country, regardless of party, can trust. That may come, that may come apart. Can you fill in a little more on what the the reading, the challenge to the reading or the integrity of the reading test is or was or is coming? Well, they worked, in the end, they worked it out because they, the board was coming unglued over Several differences. I'll come back to that in a sec. Um, sort of late in the game, uh, the then chair, Haley Barber, uh, pulled together a, a, a sort of special committee of the, the cooler heads in the board, and they forged a kind of compromise that worked out okay. So the consensus prevailed. Uh, there were a couple issues. Um, uh, one is um, <laughs> the definition of reading. Are we talking about print? Are we talking about every form of multimedia? Um, are we talking about um, decoding the words or making sense out of what you read? Uh, these, the, the real definition of what do, we, what do we mean by reading was part of the argument. The other argument was how to deal with the equity challenges. Um, do we give extra help to kids who wouldn't have encountered various topics or vocabulary words in, in, in their regular life? So it, do we, does, does the test itself, let's say, supply definitions of words uh, for kids who may not have the vocabulary to start with? Because uh, if they know what the word means, maybe they can read it. Um, and, uh, so this was a, a big issue of providing kind of supplemental help, both as to knowledge and as to vocabulary, to kids who would be disadvantaged or minority and wouldn't have encountered these things before. So some of us, myself included, argued that to provide this kind of help was, would actually conceal the truth about how well these kids could read. 
Because in the real world, when you read something, you don't have little pop-ups giving you the meaning of words uh, or, the, or the background knowledge. And that we get sort of false positives about kids reading rather than the full extent of their reading problem. Anyway, this got compromised. And so I think we're okay. I also think that they made a compromise that will enable them to preserve the trend line so that they will know in the future whether how reading compares with how it did in the past. Because if you change this, the, these tests too much, you sort of have to start over again with a trend. Uh, if if the test is radically different, you can't compare it to how kids did on the previous test. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, it, it seems to me, I, you know, back to the earlier part of our conversation, you know, if Harvard and Yale and Princeton and Stanford are dropping the tests, you know, you know, and they're the, they're the, you know, they're uh-huh. the, <laughs> that's the blue ribbon stuff. Uh-huh. How, how do you maintain the argument for testing? You know, on uh, of the NAEP, you know, hey, hey, the smartest colleges in the world have dropped this stuff. Why are we persevering in this? Well, it's an important, uh, important point right now is persevered because under federal law, it has to be given, especially yeah. in reading and math. It does perform another important function, which is if we stick with school accountability as with results based school accountability as a policy, as we've been doing at the national level since, well, really since the, the, the early 80s, even before you and I were in the Department of Education, and we've been doing it big time since No Child Left Behind, um, that relies on states setting standards and giving tests and reporting the tests. But who's to say whether the state standards and tests are rigorous? And the answer is NAEP functions as a kind of auditor of the rigor of what states are doing. Uh, So state will report that, uh, you know, 67% of its fourth graders are reading proficiently. And then NAEP comes in and looks at the fourth graders in the same state and says, well, you know, 32% of them are reading proficiently. So what do you judge from that? Well, one thing you judge from that is that the, the state has got pretty low, pretty low cut scores or pretty easy tests or pretty low standards. And so Nate functions as an auditor here that, that I think is very important. If, however, the country abandons school accountability, which is a different risk that we're facing, I believe, then Nate becomes less and less necessary. Do we do we run the risk of abandoning accountability, A, as you just said, and, you know, sort of grades and standards altogether? Yes, we do. We do. Um, we, both because um, on the left, they don't like testing and comparisons. And on the right, they don't think the government should be doing anything like that. Right. Oh, boy, that's I remember that argument. That was an argument mm-hmm. we were talking yes. about in the 80s. It's, it's the old argument The uh, um, that was I, I joked about it. The problem with uh, with national testing is that uh, liberals don't like testing and conservatives don't like national. Right. Right. <laughs> Goodness. OK, so, I mean, your book, I mean, there's a real risk that Nate. There Nate, is a risk. Nate, I hope people I, I hope people read the book. The first half is history. The second half are these current issues. And um, I the first half, I don't think we'll get much argument. The second half, I hope we'll get argument because I'd like people to be no. uh, um, arguing about these things. Can we take a few more minutes to talk about general state of elementary and secondary education? Uh, okay. With a, with a, with just with a couple of turns, twists, uh, focuses. Um, what what is happening? I mean, I, I mentioned that the higher ed is seeing dropout. I'm seeing that there's some stories are exaggerating, but there does seem to be some kind of movement away from public schools in America. Is that is that fair to say? It's fair to say there's there's a couple things going on. One is the the even before COVID. Uh, the demographics were reducing the number of children um, of school age in America. So that was going to happen. In, that was going to happen anyway. Uh, natural forces, uh, birth rates, em- immigration, things like that. Um, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Immigration. I mean, we're going well, to fill every classroom in the country next month. <laughs> well, then the right. schools will be happy. Then the schools will be thrilled because yeah. they won't. They won't be facing an enrollment downturn. Okay, yeah. enrollment downturn means money downturn, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I want to talk and, to you about that in a minute. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so that was going to happen anyway, the demographics. But then COVID 
um, was handled so badly by so many public schools that uh, a bunch of people looked for other alternatives and withdrew their kids, in effect, from the public schools, either for homeschooling or private schooling or what they call pod schooling, or a bunch of parents get together and hire a tutor. Um, and, and, and then some kids, maybe the most worrying part of this, is some kids seem to have just vanished. Yeah. Um, we're not aware of any school that they're in or yeah. any equivalent of school that they're in. So, yeah, this is the, the combined effect of these things um, has produced a an enrollment downturn, uh, obviously more pronounced in some parts of the country than others um, for all sorts of reasons. Some places kept their schools open during COVID um, and places that didn't um, are facing bigger challenges. But uh, but then there's the usual population shifts to the Sun Belt and so forth going on. A lot here, a lot going on. I, I, again, disaggregate. I, I just saw a Harvard study, Harvard or Brown, I think it was Harvard, about the kids who stayed in the schools who didn't close. Mm-hmm. It did better, and they also mm-hmm. didn't get sicker. Yeah, um, I think it is a Harvard study by Tom Kane, I believe, and uh, it's uh, it was a good scholar. Um, yeah, it's that part's sort of amazing. Now, mind you, we, the, the, we're told that seventy-five percent of all American kids have had COVID. So, uh, uh, what do we make of that? They yeah. got it somewhere. Many of them didn't know they had it. Yeah, but it didn't seem to matter to the vast, vast majority of them. I agree. Yeah, um, or they had it and they didn't know it because they had such a mild case. Yeah, I mean, they should. You know, the, the, the vertical integration, I think, was the term. They, should have locked all of us up over 65, maybe like they did in China. No, I don't mean well, that. But I mean, I, you know, but I mean, you know, this, I mean, look at the you know, people who died. I mean, most of them were old people and a lot of them were really old people. Yep. Absolutely right. And uh, not a lot of kids, though. Some kids got some weird variations, no doubt about that. But yeah, the, um, of course, kids who stayed in school did better academically. Um, kids don't do very well just um, being strapped to a computer and with a teacher far away trying to teach them remotely. Um, the younger the kid, the worse they do. And they also miss out on other very important elements of school, like socialization, um, be learning to behave, learning to get along with other people, things like that. We're seeing these um, mental health issues, too, right, as a result. Yeah, yeah, you go crazy if you don't have any human contact. Kids do better in school. With them. Then, of course, they're tested on things you learn in school. That's I mean, keep that in mind. Well, the, the uh, I want to go back to COVID. I mean, you talked about a handling of it. It seemed to me, uh, you know, I mean, I, was, I, I guess it was some of a hobby horse of mine when I was secretary. To some extent, you too criticizing the teachers' unions. But I mean, my gosh, they, could they have handled this worse? Than, no, I mean, they couldn't have handled it worse. They wouldn't go back. They just wouldn't go back, and they were making up stories, and and you know. I mean, it, it just uh, people were. My gosh, what is wrong with these people? Yeah, I I wrote a little piece called "Did Public Education Have It Coming?" And the very first point I made was that uh, public education had, for a long time, been putting adult interests ahead of kids' interests. And so, when the adult interests, as embodied by teacher unions and other unions and other grown-ups, didn't want to come to school. Um, people, the, this, the systems responded to that rather than what the kids needed. And, and this hurt the kids at the bottom worse than the worst. Of course, of course, as always, they didn't have, as always. they didn't have good help at home. They didn't, parents might not have known how to help them. They didn't have enough technology. I mean, picture, you know, four kids trying to learn on the same, on one device. Uh, Cause that's all there is in the house. Um, yeah. Poor kids um, um, were, were, were hurt the most. One of the things we're going to find are these achievement gaps worse than ever when we get the additional data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the whole, um, right apart from the behavior of the unions, what about the whole, you know, looking over your kid's shoulder and in, what people were teaching and then, you know, this explosion <laughs> of what the heck, what is that? And then critical race theory, et cetera, et cetera. That is, yeah, well, the, well, go ahead. The race, the race stuff going on at the same time as COVID, um, it makes things endlessly complicated. Uh, people were looking over their kids' shoulders and seeing what they were learning, often not understanding what they were learning, sometimes being horrified on various grounds, not just uh, not just because there was stuff there they disapproved of, but often there was just stuff there the parents didn't understand. And often, of course, there was stuff there they didn't know how to help their kids with. But yeah, it's, um, it's heightened the degree of parent engagement in kids' curriculum. Um, 
My own personal view is parents should be engaged in picking the right school for their kid, uh, not trying to tell the school system what it should be teaching. That's my view of this. But uh, certainly parents have gotten more an- animated and engaged. And on the whole, that's a good thing. What do you make of Loudoun County, you know, which made, made a lot of news with the parents well, and they the were- school board? The Loudoun County went overboard on its on its on its race stuff, on its woke stuff, just like a lot of colleges have done. And it happened to have enough parents who noticed to blow the whistle, basically. Uh, how and typical is what Loudoun County parents found? How typical is that in other schools, school districts? I don't think we. I honestly we don't, don't think we, 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 we don't know. know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this is all anecdotal. Loudoun County made the news because parents uh, blew the whistle, and uh, uh, and because Loudoun County had a very complicated, ambitious, systematic plan for introducing, you know, diversity and equity and so forth into everything it was doing, and that was a little much, a little much, in my opinion, too. Uh, one other aspect of this, because I, I, you know, I'm still doing some work in education. Uh, Good. Uh, and, uh, you know, helping a, a couple of organizations and, you mm-hmm. know, p- picking up just intelligence here and there. Everywhere I go and hear when people level with you, they will say, oh, my gosh, you can't believe how much money is out there right now uh, for the schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, COVID uh, funded, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, but I mean, I somebody was saying the other day, well, you know, this, well, this, there's this, all these extra billions coming as COVID relief from Washington, yeah. and uh, that and that's a flood of money that their schools and districts or and states too are still trying to figure out what to do with. But it's certainly changed the economics of schools in the short run. Uh, and the issue there is, are they using it to fix what the kids need, or are they using it just to give across-the-board raises to their teachers? Uh, very different very different um, issues as to the optimal use of those extra dollars. Yeah, but there, I mean, there, there, there is a lot out there. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, um, well, you know, this we think this is a very good project, and... You know, we we would hope to apply for three million dollars from the state, and the person from the state said, "Well, you know, don't don't quote me, and I won't, certainly won't quote the person's name, but you could find three million dollars in the couches in the commissioner's office, you know, between the cushions." I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just it it's what is ESSER money? Oh, that's the federal relief dollars for schools. I mean, okay, is, there's is, a lot of that. Is, there. yeah, there's a ton of it. The question is, again, are they using it for stuff like intensive summer school to help kids yeah. catch up, yeah. which would be my, my example. Or are they using it to just uh, give um, uh, 7% raises across the yeah. board for everybody employed by the school system, which isn't going to do the kids any good? I was just going to ask that. Here we are at the edge of summer. Uh, it seems to me summer school uh, is called for, given the... It is absolutely called for, and it needs to be made. You can't require it, I don't believe, unless you change state law. So you got to make it appealing. Yeah. Uh, you got to make it. You got to make it worthwhile, and you got to push it hard, promote it with parents and kids uh, as to why it's important to come. Otherwise, the kids who need it the most aren't going to come. Checker, last question. What do we know about right now? Uh, I know I know we're waiting for more, like from NAEP, but what do we know about loss of learning during COVID? Well, we know that it was every metric we've got, it was, it was bad in general and worst for poor and minority kids and worst in the younger grades because uh, oh those are the kids, those are the kids that did the fair, adapted the worst to uh, um, alternative ins- forms of instruction. So um, achievement is, is in a big hole right now. It was never what it should be. And now it's worse. What's harder to make up losses in reading or losses in math? Well, Math you only learn in school. Basically, nobody learns it outside of school. Uh, people do a lot of uh, some people do a lot of reading outside of school, okay. um, and some people's parents and and scoutmasters and preachers and so forth can help them with stuff they read uh, much more than help them with their math. So uh, math depends on on uh, teachers and schools and curriculum totally. Reading depends on that for um, poor kids, basically, and um, who aren't going to get the additional help with reading at home. So, the for math, you really need school, and for reading, you need you need school too. But mo- more for some kids than for others. 
You know, your point about math is right. I, I in the last two years, I've run into a lot of people, uh, and not at you know, not, not you know, at mid level profession who say, uh, "Well, I can't do that. I don't do math." Well, and, I, and you say, "Well, did, no, just multiply it times fourteen percent." You know, I can't do that. I have three degrees from a high status university, and I can't help people beyond about the fifth or sixth grade. Let me put it that way. All right. Well, okay. There you go. There's, you know, is, is that Harvard? <laughs> it, it is. They didn't. Do, did. They didn't teach you math there, did they? <laughs> they absolutely failed when it came to my math abilities. Uh, additionally, I learned calculus once upon a time, and I have never ever used it once. I know there's an argument there, isn't there, about that? Uh, yep. There sure calculus is. and geometry, right? Yep, trigonometry. How often Trig. do you need a? How often do you need a a, a cotangent? <laughs> well, I guess if I'm flying, I need someone next to me. <laughs> yes, you do have a point. You need somebody doing trigonometry. Doctor Finn, assessing the nation's report card. Uh, this is this is this is really 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 interesting. Challenges and choices for NAEP, the National Assessment of Education Progress, by Chester E. Finn Jr., man from whom I have learned a great deal uh, about education, and uh, was proud to be a colleague of him. Thank you very much, Doctor Finn. My great pleasure. All the best, and uh, uh, see you soon. Okay. Bye bye. All right, Dr. Bennett, for a few weeks now, I've been talking about Athletic Greens AG1. And, man, let me tell you, I've been doing this consistently. It's an easy part of my morning routine. I just take a scoop of the powder, add some water, shake it up, and then I take it right there in the morning before I leave the house. And let me tell you, I can tell a difference. The biggest difference that I've noticed is in my digestive process, if you know what I mean good digestive health. I feel energetic as well. I feel light during the day. And I know I'm getting all the nutrients that I need. It's getting the job done. One scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what an adaptogen is, but it's in there. And it's to help you start your day right. So this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, all the things that my wife seems to be worried about when it comes to me and my health. And I'm worried about it, too. I want to make sure that I do things right. So here's how I take my AG1. It comes in a great package. They send you the powdery mix. It's all in the bags and stuff there. But they also send you a water bottle, and it's got the measurements, how many ounces, so you don't have to guess the measurement. You take one serving of the powder, 8 to 12 ounces of water. You shake it up, and then you take it. I do it in the morning, and let me tell you, I do feel more energetic. And I just feel good knowing that the essential vitamins and minerals and all the things that I need to be healthy, I'm consuming it in this one drink. Now, here's the thing about taste, because that's one of the things I worry about. I'm going to be honest. It's not as if it's cookies and cream ice cream, okay? It's a supplement. It's not coffee with a ton of sugar and hazelnut cream. That's not what it is. It's a supplement. But I will say this. It's the best supplement that I tasted. It just kind of tastes like flavored water a little bit, and that's fine with me. I was actually pleasantly surprised about how it tastes. Now, I actually would recommend this to family and friends, which is why I'm sharing it here on the podcast. Here's the cool thing about it. Number one, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is good for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It costs you less than $3 per day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens AG1 was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. So listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Simple and nutritious. One scoop and a cup of water 
every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash bill. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash bill to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Claude, are there any um, there any sports going on right now? Well, yeah. I mean, this week. Well, well, yeah. You're saying like I'm an idiot. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Maybe I am. I'm not paying attention. No, but this weekend on? we've got the PGA Championship, you know, one of golf's majors, the second major of the year. You know, we've got the NBA Conference Finals. You've got uh, Miami in uh, Boston. Uh, and then you've got Golden State and uh, the Dallas Mavericks. So we've got some stuff going on. Miami and Boston. Mm-hmm. Golden State and uh, Dallas. Dallas Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lakers are not nowhere to be seen. No, they didn't even make the playoffs. Well, I was watching, and I, I, I you know, I, I watched uh, with a friend of mine was here, a basketball coach, a high school basketball coach, and he said, "I want you to watch my favorite movie called uh, Coach Carter." You know, oh yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Same yeah. Same with Yep, yep, yep. About Richmond High School, mm-hmm. California. It's really mm-hmm. a fun movie, great yeah. movie. <laughs> and then I watched a little bit of NBA. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a bunch of big guys taking. Three pointers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of going to the basket. No, they don't do that anymore. No, they Plays, just shoot. You know, yeah. they just shoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, Coach Cardo's kids were you know going to the basket and playing and getting back on defense and you know playing. But I, I mean, I just, I, I just didn't want to watch the NBA. Defense is also something that they don't do anymore in the NBA. Is that right? <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh, just offense and just, just shoot. No defense. I don't care about that. No, just four am- more points. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, let's see. Football starts late August. Right. Well, and the rookie mini camps started already. I got mm-hmm. the chance to see, um, you know, on television, obviously. Uh, you know, I got Willis from Liberty University, uh, some other quarterbacks. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Ritter and those guys. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, where did he go, the Liberty guy? Uh, he went oh. to Tennessee. Tennessee. Titans. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. They need they need backup to was it Tannehill? Tannehill, yeah. And Tannehill, you know, says it's not my job to coach this guy up. I'm, you know, we're it's in, it's a competition. Okay. Uh, and so there's a little bit of preseason controversy there with uh, okay, good. <laughs> that. Right, good. Well, that's just about it for this episode. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to the dot com. You can follow me on fill in the blank on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm not a bot. No, 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 no. You're an actual person. So Elon must not have to worry about me. Uh, Twitter, I'm William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. What are you laughing? No, the whole bot thing and Elon Musk. Feel free. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We're growing, aren't we? Absolutely. Episode by episode. So continue yeah. to share. Continue to email the link. Uh, anyone who listens via the website but haven't subscribed to the podcast, subscribe. Uh, because you'll get you know updates for when we do mini episodes like we did a couple weeks ago. Great. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. 